whenever when I'm making music, I'm thinking about getting to that place. So there is this like nirvana, this like dance floor moment that we all have, and I'm sure you could ask anyone and say, "Tell me your most memorable dance floor moment." Or, you know, they'll say, "I was at this festival and the sun was going down, and I remember this particular." And everyone has them, and they really are profound. They're, you know, for I guess people must get that similar fix through their religions and things like that. I'm sure. Um, but for me, it's 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 music, and when I'm making it, it's always centralized around achieving that nirvana to the listener. Hi, I'm Dan Brophy. Welcome to The Naked Creative. The world is full of people who aren't living their passions. Each episode, I talk to someone who is. The aim? To break down their process into practical terms, the hows and whys of creating, so that anyone who wished could live a more creatively fulfilling lifestyle. I want to find out what their day-to-day looks like, how they get inspired, and how they got started and how they overcome their blocks. DJ, artist, and club auteur Levi Cross, also known by his moniker Salvador Darling, is riding a wave of Melbourne nightlife renaissance. In a time when Sydney and Brisbane struggle to find their dancing feet amidst increasing government restriction, Melbourne's nightlife is ever diversifying and ever expanding. Right now you could go out and experience some form of culturally vital nightlife pretty much any night of the week in most cases till dawn, and in the case of some venues, you wouldn't have to leave for days. As someone who lives in Sydney, I've occasionally gone out in Melbourne and thought to myself, it sounds like I'm listening to music from the future. Because by comparison, in Sydney, it's so hard to keep a venue open with lockout laws restricting entry past 1.30am and alcohol service past 3am, that in order to survive, the product has to be as commercial as possible. It's the same as if the only clothing stores to survive were the ones that sold the most mass-produced clothing. Oh wait, that happens too. But to explore the never-ending rabbit warren of clubs and bars in Melbourne is to occasionally stumble upon the real-life version of some obscure SoundCloud mix. Except it's not just able to be experienced in headphones or at a computer, it's able to be experienced in a room with other people who can then cross-pollinate each other's experience with ideas that surround the culture, the clothing, the style, the dance expression, the art installation, the art of conversation. Culture breeds culture, and Levi has essentially been part of the nightlife scene in Melbourne for over 10 years, since he was 16. In previous episodes of the podcast, I've spoken to creatives whose canvas was the photograph, the TV series, the mantelpiece, or the workshop. But this week, I speak to someone whose platform is the dance floor, a place very near and dear to my heart. For those who have little tolerance to Melbournians talking about how great Melbourne is, this podcast is probably not for you. You've been warned. For those that agree, come on in and enjoy my chat with Levi Cross, aka Salvador Darling. So... (laughs) 
<laughs> Levi, girl. Hello, Danny. Are we recording? Yeah, we're recording. We're oh, doing. wow. I don't want to live on, I don't want to live when the camera's not rolling. Yeah, fully. Um, well, look, let's, just to give people some, some background, if someone were to say to you, what do you do? What do you tell them? Wow. Um... So what do you do? Do you know what? I keep myself very busy with different projects. So I guess I am a DJ, a producer, but I'm also working events. So I run um, parties and that's what I do. And as long as I've known you, there's been a, a focus on doing things in clubs, running events, staging yep. nights. And I feel like in the last few years, correct me if I'm wrong, DJ got added to that and almost became a first and foremost and then producer has followed since mm-hmm. and you've been you've gone into the making of music yep where uh, was that just a natural progression for you because you were in the clubs anyway and, and you thought well I may as well be the one doing the DJ uh first of all thank you for um yeah giving me a moment to reflect on this I haven't thought about it uh it happened naturally organically um, I think I wanted to do it all along, and uh, that was just the process of how I got there. Okay. I think. Well, in terms of how you got there, yeah. when was the first point at which you started staging events and and I don't, what'd you call it at that stage when you were just doing clubs? Were you saying I? I do events, I'm a performance artist, I, because I, as far the as... The list goes on. Yeah. It's kind of, okay, let's see if I can try and work it out properly. I think I've always chased or always followed enjoyment. I think uh, whatever I'm doing in my life at the time, whatever is giving me the most enjoyment, I've pursued, I've pursued. And that's kind of been my indicator. And, with- and that has come in many forms as I've grown older, as my tastes have changed, as my... You know what? How I would like to participate. Uh, I kind of went from participant to contributor very early from the beginning. I've always been more excited to contribute to a culture. Um, it's what I like doing. Was yeah. there a was that a stroke of eighteen in the club scenario? Were you one of those rat bag kids that was running around clubland before you were eighteen? I was a rat bag kid. Actually, I'll tell you a great. Um, Story. So it has literally been my entire life. I've always had um, a really over-the-top birthday celebration as a teenager. Um, and my first ever warehouse party um, was when I was 16 at the now Coles Fitzroy on Johnson Street, which used to be a car park. And uh, that was when I was in high school running these parties, um, probably about, you know, eight a year. So it's like kind of been my thing. It's been my vibe forever. I actually fully love it. Who would come to the parties uh, when you were 16? All the kids from school, surrounding school. I actually bust in for that particular event because there was about 800 people. I actually bust in two school, like formal after party. One was a dev after party. One was a formal after party on the same night. I think it was Strathmore College. And it was like Strathmore and Essendon Keelor College or something like that. And they had their they had their big do, and then bust them in, charge the money. It was BYO. It was fab. I made heaps of money, and um, and it was like actually incredible. And that might have been the moment where I was like, do you know what? I really love doing this, and I can make a living out of it. Maybe I'll just do it. 
So it was one... followed by the rat bag um, underage club era. So it was yeah. one part hustler, <laughs> one one part club kid. Just a girl trying to get by. I mean, I had like a taste for designer club. Like I've completely gone off designer. I'm no longer give a shit what's on the label. But when you're a teenager, you got to have it status. So come to my warehouse party. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. And so, because, I mean, you, I always envied kids who grew up in Brunswick or inner city neighborhoods, which you probably never thought that was that cool. But given that I was rocking Levita mm. suburbia in North Baldwin, I would come to visit friends who lived on in Carlton and think, oh my God, this is so cool. <laughs> and I think just by maybe growing up in a neighborhood that's surrounded by that cool, mm. arty, studenty life, because you couldn't walk down... Sydney Road without witnessing yeah. the guts of the city in the best possible way. I think more than ever, it was because at the time, whilst we were growing up in that neighbourhood, um, it was actually multicultural. It was actually very, very much um, European, Middle Eastern, mostly European neighbourhood from all different countries. I think it was growing up in the rich melting pot of these cultures more than being exposed to the arts, where I think you were a bit robbed in the suburbia of white. It's very white out in Baldwin. I mean, yeah. my dad lives there. Yeah, totally. And it's, 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 it was, and when I moved there, it wasn't just white, it was geriatric and white. Yeah. So it was, <laughs> it, it was literally the cutoff. It, it was the <laughs> parents of the people who lived in Hawthorne were in North Baldwin. Yeah. Oh, and so they were, you know, they, they were, it was 60 to death. Basically. <laughs> my parents felt right at home yeah. in the, uh, as, as they're in aged care. Um, but I would love to know at what yeah. point you so committed. At, well, well, as in what, at what point you started um, running the events to actually? Because when I first met you, which was actually just to give some timeline, how old are you now? Twenty-seven. And when I first met you, I reckon you were twenty-one. Yeah, maybe? about twenty. And so you'd been doing, you'd been making it happen in club world for so long that you actually were very much in a performance art space when I first met you in that you were staging events that would occur midway through a night at sometimes one club a week, sometimes four. Yeah. And there were, were, and it was, there was, but that time in Melbourne, there was a culture, a club kid culture or a glamour was definitely a trend. Um, you know, now it's a little bit TC too cool. Um, and it's not as like, you know, getting dressed up with big jewels and big furs and big hair and big looks and big shoes and big personalities. That was then. And I remember everyone had a fur. Everyone had a fur. At least. Like they would troll. There's like a long fur, a shrug. (laughs) (laughs) We were, yeah. It, we were down. And it was, I mean, you had a handlebar mustache. I feel like you yeah. could get around in a monocle and it would not seem. Out there was of touch. a couple of years where I was exclusively on a seven inch platform yes. um, scraping. Yeah. Spice Girl Realness. Spice Girl Realness. But I mean, that was the time. That was where I was now, in my life. And, and what's in front of me right now is this the most effortlessly chic sports luxe. <laughs> short, like, it's a short over a pant. It's all black. It's just Melbourne. Eat it up. Mm-hmm. Um, so. And is there a point at which you had been... I mean, where does it even come from? Where does... For a 16-year-old to stage a night, you have to know what you're doing to some degree. Is that based off music videos? Similarly, when you're a mm-hmm. 21-year-old and you're doing a, an, an installation in a club with gl- glitter cannons and giant platforms and wings and exploding, mm-hmm. you know, exploding pyrotechnics, 
I'm sure the pyrotechnics came a bit later, but you were definitely letting off things that created an, a, a moment in a yep. night when I first met you. And it was incredibly polished in the most down-home way. Yep. What was... Where does where do those ideas come from? Were you observing something overseas and then making it happen in Melbourne? I think that's a yes. I think I was seeing things um, with starry eyes going, wow, that is super interesting. Um, whatever that is, I've got to do this. Yes. That definitely happened quite a few times in my life cycle. Because it's a cycle. I see something that just blows my mind and I sign on the dotted line immediately. That's happened a few times. Give me an example. Um, oh. There was a moment, I remember when I first moved to London and just saw these fab, fab drag queens doing it, you know, in an alternative way. Um, and just looking at it going, wow, that's like super duper fab. I remember seeing these... Um, performers on stage and going whatever that is I subscribe to that and I think it was about a year and a half later I was living with that person that made me go crazy so it was kind of it just like that's it I want to be an alternative drag queen that's what I did was that Johnny Wu Johnny Wu yeah and was that do you think that Melbourne and London's alternative club scene runs in parallel to each other and where are they at now in comparison to each other uh, to what happened over there? Yeah, like if, if you were to go out and do the best that London had to yeah. offer right now and the best that Melbourne had to offer, would you find a little brother version of it in Melbourne or does Melbourne just do its own thing? No, Melbourne Melbourne does its own thing. To be honest, Melbourne, something good is going... Is Something good is... I can feel change. De- I can definitely feel change. I don't think it's amazing what's going on. Um, I think there is room for a little bit less... Um, I just think it's a bit cool. Okay. That's all. When we were in the in 2009-10, which is a time yep. that I... I actually just did a little vlog yesterday about... Because when I get in my car, yep. the good old Jag Sovereign... Love I the love the Jag. I, <laughs> all the CDs that are in that car are basically the, the five years of listening of when I was driving that car before moving to Sydney at the end of... 2011. So basically it's not 2007 to 2011 CDs are in that car. And of course it's a nostalgia trip. And all I think about is basically that really interesting time. And, and the earlier part of that, when we, around the time we first met, I remember feeling that there was this really interesting shift which was happening completely across the culture because mm-hmm. it's Tom Ford's theory that a, a decade defines itself in its latter half. So therefore from 2005 to 2010... Mm-hmm the 2000s were being defined and mm-hmm. we were smack bang in the middle of that and so the the countercultural you know bohemian revival was sort of happening in a number of different ways but the first place that it's felt of course is in the clubs with art students with people mm-hmm. who are really you know mainlining the zeitgeist yep i remember feeling like there was something really interesting that was happening that i could see was going to hit the mainstream a little while later and sure enough it did so now we are actually at the cusp of the second half of this decade Mm -hmm. and if Tom Ford's theory is correct this decade will define itself in the next four years what do you smell as being the the vibe that is currently being felt in clubs as in terms of how people want to dress what people want to dance to what people want to experience and I got it 
I've um, I've actually been speaking about this topic a lot recently with other um, nightlife nerds. Um, it's a hundred percent. Nine is a millennial. Is back. Every it runs in a twenty-year cycle, pretty much as far as fashions and trends go. But I think it goes beyond how people are looking. It is unequivocally, like without a doubt, all you're seeing at the moment is crop tops. It's dungaree overalls. It's baggy. It's that's how people are dressing. There's been on the music front. There's been a resurgence in acid house in um, a bit of popular 90s music from the time, trance, etc. It's like tiptoeing its way in a little bit. Techno's back. That was also a 90s thing. Um, but also one thing that I think really... There was a lot of... like the I, I feel like the 80s um, was like a really hectic time for the world. And lots of shit was going on. Like shit was going down. It was there was a lot of depression, um, financial situations. And the nineties was all about hope. It was all about, all the music was all about, you know, um, you know, things can only get better. Like this. D-ream. Yeah. It's a bit of D-ream. Like just like a classic of, you know, everybody's free. Like the sort of the spirit of the nineties was, yeah, we're rich, we're back, we're, you know, love, equal. like, I felt like there was this, like, optimism of the 90s, and I feel like there is so much shit going on in the world at the moment, just constantly regurgitated to you through media, or, like, terrorism and all these things. Brexit and Donald Trump. Brexit, and... Donald Trump. Um, there's, there's a lot of really fugly shit going on, and it's trending hard, so we're just going to get more and more of it, because it's trending. So... I've got a feeling we're all reaching our threshold of how much just like, I feel like as we start to recover financially from our last financial crisis, which was not that long ago, only a few years ago. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like we've come full circle, not just in fashion, but in spirit. And I think we're like looking forward to the future with equality. There's been a lot of stuff happening with equality. Um, you know, just in general, definitely in my realm and in dance music and, um, uh, yeah, what it, um, I noticed there was a little, there was discussion around who the person playing the music is and what you know gender they are and what you know is there, is that still a, a really active discussion about it's a huge discussion? It was actually one of the top topics um, uh, at pretty much all of the music conferences uh, around the world, like Miami, um, Amsterdam, Electronic Music Conference, etc. Even in Sydney, and equality in dance music is new because it's been very male oriented, very like cis male focused profession, I guess mm. you would call it. It's just dudes, and um, yeah, that debate sparked from uh, Mix Mag One Hundred, which is you know considered the you know they have their top one hundred DJs, and they're considered a bible um, of sorts. A bible. They're considered to be the you know, they're the voice, mm. if they say it, it's true. And I think, I can't remember, but it was like two or three years ago, they they put it out and someone was like, hey, there's no women here. And it's like, wow, that's really disturbing. Yeah. Like, that's a disturbing fact. And then it kind of like echoes down all the way through to, um, you know, down on the ground in Melbourne in a nightclub. It's the same thing. There is, uh, there's a lack of inclusivity, which is really funny because when sort of the nightclub like that we know today kind of started from these like you know gay black clubs 
in New York and Detroit and like it's just funny how it's gone from something that was created for the minorities which has been completely taken and now excludes the minorities and even like myself as a queer um, artist I find myself never really being accepted as a um, like never really like considered for lineups and things of that nature, for just like merit alone, it would all just be because either I'm fulfilling their um, GLBTQ card, um, or maybe my associations. They'll, you'll bring a certain crowd. Yeah, yeah, and I'm almost like a, I'm just I feel a little bit like person. This is me personally. I feel a bit second class citizen when it comes to the arena of. Um, cis male dominated um, so if I feel that as a successful promoter DJ whatever if I'm feeling that I can't imagine how the girl starting out or the trans person starting out or someone who idolizes has a moment at a dance party where they're just you know you can you have your moments where you're just like I've got it I need to do that or this is amazing I want to learn I can only imagine how there's barriers there and um yeah, so I think a lot of people are, and I think that's what's happening there is just one example, just to bring it back again, yeah. is just an example of um, how we're all gunning for equality mm. and hope, and I think that's what I'm forecasting for the next few years will be very revolutionary socially now that we're all connected. The reason why I'm so excited to sit down and talk to you, even though I've, I speak to people who are making making stuff across a number of different mm. genres and mediums. But the reason why I think it would be wonderful, why I was looking forward to chatting to you is because I really do, as a child of the disco, <laughs> really do believe that it's, that's where everything starts. I think, yeah. I think because, because basically the kids who are turning up and doing, investing energy into that world are the people whom trend forecasters pay to tell them what's cool. 100%. Like one thousand percent. It's just a fact. If you look at, I mean, a friend of mine had a um, a subscription through his work to WGSN, which is the World Global Style Network or something like that. And it's basically what every major fashion brand uses to gauge what's going to be trending not only this year but in two or three years' time. And all they do is pay kids who are in the know to tell them what's going to be cool. Mm -hmm. And therefore, that's that's so Mark Jacobs can can subscribe to it and copy it and basically feed that back to you just in time for the mainstream to want it before they know that they want it. Mm -hmm. And therefore, you know, I always feel like, just as you mentioned, it's not just about what people are wearing, it's what people are thinking, it's the energy and ideals that people are gravitating towards that, you know, start at Clubland, you mm -hmm. know. If you want to see what people are going to be wearing in a, in a year and a half to two years' time, just go to the coolest underground club in Melbourne and that's exactly what <laughs> you'll, find. <laughs> you'll find. But I... Also, I'm in intrigued by the idea that you've got, I mean, it's so funny how things that are ironical and ridiculous become the norm in terms of how trends do catch on. And I love when you posted Danny Minogue's All I Want to Do 
and you were saying, how great is this? And I watched it and I was like, I'm not just having a nostalgic trip here. This is so now. This yes. is so, everything about it was perfect. Everything. Uh, at the, I mean, I loved, I loved the late noughties fascination with technology. I was going to post JLo's If You Had My Love as a response to it because that was the first time the internet was referred yep. to in a mainstream oh. video. And it was just so, but then, it, but you know, Danny's underground dance track would have been like just, you know, reading it a little bit, a little bit before JLo's would have. Um, I, in terms of, you know, we're talking about this world as being very inspired and, and sort of tapping into a zeitgeist, but how do you, do you actively pursue inspiration across any channels? Do you think to yourself, feeling a little bit under-inspired at the moment, I'm going to invest in my creativity, and then do you find yourself consuming it specifically? Whoa. Um, whenever I'm lacking on inspiration, I generally go on a holiday. Um, just remove myself immerse myself in a different culture and that works for me not everybody has that available to them um so where's a holiday destination that's done that for you recently tokyo blew my mind apart and sewed it back together like it in the best way possible like tokyo was so unbelievably inspiring um what was it about tokyo that it looked like a Danny Minogue video. <laughs> <laughs> Tokyo, they just did, um, they did chic. Um, like I've traveled um, a fair bit of Asia and it was the first time in Asia where I went, wow, this is like, this is chic. Uh, the way that they live, the way that they act, just being so lovely. They casually slay everything, every store fitting, every street, every, the bins they use, like the entire place for me was a huge inspiration and has inspired my next 12 months of um, branding. It's inspired a show, which I'm going to tour. Um, it's really, it was a huge inspiration for me. And it was just, um, it, that's like, it's just so classic. Like I needed a bit of inspo. So I went to this fascinating land that, you know, really looks forward to the future and I found myself mm. applying their their brand. It's so funny that you should find that now to be so to speak to you because I remember in the late nineties I was I was eighteen in two thousand and yep. I remember the feeling of future. The futurism was very Japanese and I, I actually so many of my year twelve and year eleven graphics projects were referencing Orientalism, mod like futurism. Mm -hmm in a Japanese way. And, you know, even the memory of, like, remember Kali Minogue dressed as a geisha running around the streets of Tokyo to a, a Toa Tei song called German Bold Italic? Have oh, you ever God. encountered that track? Because it's actually... Ex <laughs> heaven. Heaven. Okay. Um, I'll follow it up. We'll follow it up. I'll send it to you. It's, um, it was... The late 90s was so Japanese because the late 90s was so obsessed with the future and Japan always has been, so they just sort of fit together so perfectly that it just makes perfect sense that you would see that essence of now reflected there because they live for it. But in terms of your notion around branding and the show you're going to tour, just give me an idea what your branding and what the show that you would work on and tour would be. Cool. Um, the aesthetics, um, because I'm, I'm a huge gadget freak. I love gadgets. Um, I love anything kind of futury. I love new technology. I'm not scared of it when I come across it. Um, so um, I was inspired in Japan aesthetically um, by 
they're like from a image perspective I like the way that their graphic design has been for the last um, 30 years so I've drawn heavily from there visually but with the show that I'm actually um, being inspired to um, create a, um, a visual show which I'll um, present with a DJ set which will tour using a couple of technologies um, one of them is um, 3D um, one of them is 3D film um, so it'll be a club experience that you'll witness with 3D goggles and um, just have moments of, you know, things exploding, going through space or what have you whilst on a dance floor. I think it'd be quite quite an interesting experience for the, for the person enjoying it. I think it would be very futuristic and very Japan-inspired. And... Um, and, and when you I say, mean, that's the main thing. And when you say branding, does that mean the branding of your online marketing for the club nights? For everything, yeah. Okay. And how many nights are you currently involved with? Um, so my main squeeze is, uh, is Butte, or Butte Club, which is pretty fabulous. Uh, this is a response to how I was feeling in Melbourne with the landscape and how there was a need for something super inclusive for people to be you know the fullness of the fullness of themselves and um so that's the main squeeze and it's taken up most of my time um producing that um also doing a queer techno party at my aeon called typical party which i do with some heaven um people from the community how often do either of those happen butte is once a month typical party is every two months um bi-monthly where is when's butte on uh, it's on the first Sunday of the month, and it's at um, the Toffin Town, which is old favourite. We've had it's got to be my favourite venue in Melbourne, like hands down. It's well, it's also just part of Curtain House, which is five levels of heaven, heaven, and a rooftop, and a <laughs> cinema, and a bookshop. Not a bookshop anymore, but you know, a couple of restaurants, a couple of clubs. It's yeah. just, I feel like it's I mean, a hub. I just did a vlog about. I've continued to vlog about Melbourne while I've been here, of mm. course, but my. It's just, if Sydney only knew what is happening here, they'd move. And I'm so glad that they don't. Otherwise, this place would be full of Sydney ciders. Yeah. <laughs> but it is so rich in culture and nightlife. And, you know, the, it's not just like... It's blowing my mind, actually. It, I mean, you've, you've done the essence of the best clubs in London in a certain year or two-year block. You've done, you've travelled the world and seen stuff. I know you feel the same way that I do, that this is something in this city that is totally special and unique on a world scale. Yep. Melbourne, I think, actually has enough going on that's unique to Melbourne to not be like the city that's kind of like London, a small London, or it's not kind of like a small New York, or it's not, it's its own thing. Why, where does it come from? Why are we like that? Um, I think it comes from privilege. I think we're just privileged to um, having, like, I've lived overseas and people, young people, you know, 16 to 26, they really don't have the opportunities to, like we do. They don't have the employment like we do. They don't have, like, I actually think it, it boils down to that. I think, but I know I think lots we're of, all very... I, I know lots of wealthy cities. I'm living in one at the yeah. moment. Um, I've also been to other wealthy cities like Los Angeles and yeah. New York even, you know, places that are 
notoriously cool that are really rich, but they're not culturally rich necessarily. Mm-hmm. I feel like New York is like a big, well-oiled theme park at the moment. Well, Manhattan certainly yeah. is. Um, Los Angeles downtown is sort of buzzing at the moment, but at the same time, it's uh, it's geography and it lack, its lack of cohesion culturally means that you have pockets of things that are interesting, mm-hmm. but the thing that turns me on the most about Melbourne is it's just more the, the size allows everyone to kind of know what's going on as part of the same story. Yes, Dan, fully. Because it's that not, is a great observation. It's just big enough that there's enough people to get shit done, but not so big that there are so many things happening that you can't keep up. Hundred percent, because it's just impossible to keep up in a city like New York. You, but Melbourne, you really do know what's going on in the whole city. You can phone your girl and she'll tell you where to <laughs> tell you where to go. It's like at any at any but yeah at any one time there's something amazing happening, but probably not more than like one or two amazing things on any one night. True, but you could still find something amazing on any night of the week. Most nights, maybe not Monday. <laughs> I should come. Monday. Yes, Monday. Oh, remember, remember Monday. <laughs> and so, well, I mean, have you ever hit any walls with your creativity where you've been starved for inspiration and just been flogging a dead horse? Does that ever happen to you? Uh, do you know what the only um, the only time that I hit a wall with creativity is if I'm just generally depressed, like if I have. I like, you know, I'm a human like any other person. Whenever you have a few, um, you know, a few blows or whatever, you might have a period where you're a bit depressed and just, you know, you just got to like sort through that before you can get your high functioning, you know, all pistons firing level of creativity that you need to be a professional creative. So, And have you ever... So a lot of your demand energetically is late nights long long hours you know you're, you're there in this amazing party atmosphere so you're not just going to do your shift necessarily and knock off and go home you want to enjoy the thing you've helped create mm-hmm. do you find it challenging to structure that lifestyle that allows you to get the sleep you need get the diet you need get the yep. exercise you need as well as this very demanding schedule energetically it's taken years I finally worked it out only recently, probably the last year or two. What does it look like? Uh, it looks like um, it looks like realizing your capacity um, and blocking out uh, appropriately, I guess. And is it about um, demanding a certain bedtime? Is it about demanding a certain <laughs> blackout curtain that allows <laughs> you to sleep through the day? Is it about being really specific with diet? Whew. Um, look, it's not that different to work shifts or long hours or that kind of thing. It's something that I've always done. Um, I, I, I don't know what to say. Like mm. you just kind of work it out through little tiny things. Um, whether it be setting your alarm to go home instead of to wake up. That's a big one for me. And just, I've, I now know when it says, when the go home alarm goes on, no matter what I'm doing, it's stop leave, you've got to go home uh, because, you know, you have lunch the next day and what have you. So Small little tricks like that, I've probably got like a dozen of those and um, that's what keeps me 
We'll get, we'll get Between you to, it all. I'll get you to give me them in a written format and I'll put yeah. them on the show page. Okay. <laughs> Leave tips trips on how t- to... Um, tips yeah. for trips. Yeah. But do you, oh. know what, do you know what else I think is the main thing? To do what I'm, what I'm doing at the moment is you just have to do that thing 100%. You, it's actually just not a possibility to keep a, to keep a job um, working for somebody else or a part-time job even and um, try and commit to that and then on the side do your uh, endeavours. I found that to be impossible. You just constantly lose your jobs. <laughs> you constantly have these pressures. Um, I think for me, what has made it um, sustainable has been committing to it as a, as a full-time gig. Great. Because energetically, it is a full-time gig, even though the hours... If I need to block out 24 hours to have my phone off and sit at home and watch Netflix and then start the day after, I need to do that. It's the only way to do it. Because these projects, events, they're all very... It works well with the way that I... It suits me perfectly, to be honest. Like, I'm a hyperactive uh, person. Um, So, I don't adhere to structure very well nine to five does not work for me it works for some people it doesn't work for me you know school didn't really work for me i suit targeting all my energy towards one thing and completing that one thing that bite size you know focus of all your attention focus of all my attention it's actually it suits my you know kind of the way it suits me perfect so I guess maybe that's got something to do with the management of like getting seeing things through concept to completion is you just need to focus on one thing at a time. That's really interesting because I've spoken to some people about how they ended up getting their career happening in that creative field and it, re- it really is an interesting split between I needed to maintain my 9 to 5 while f- then focusing on my passion on the side and on weekends but actually, you're the first person to say, I just needed to, and it's an interesting idea, mm. you know, accept the lesser income stream while focusing 100% on the thing you really want to be doing and then ultimately building that up to the point at which it becomes your primary income stream and satisfies you financially while still giving you exactly what you want to be doing as a job. I'm still in the process of working out if it's, it's hard to say, has it been a great idea or not? Because I haven't, it's not later enough in my life where I'm like, I'm not looking, because there, there is potential that I'll be looking around at my life at, you know, my 40s and going, wow, I don't own a house yet. Or wow, what am I going to do when I'm 60? Or I'm not at that stage yet where I can actively weigh in and suggest other people do the same. <laughs> I think that's really me. I think, I think, you know, maybe if I was not from middle class um, family, where I know I'm never going to be homeless. I'm never... Like, there's always going to be uh, a solution for me through... um, That's not something that's available to everyone. Probably a lot of people. Mm. um, You know, maybe not even a lot. But um, to be honest, yeah, I've gone all chips in and only time will tell if it was good or bad. I'm trying it. And I think for me, for somebody with behavioural issues that they would call... um, uh, I just can't, I can't do the corporate ladder thing. I, I just can't, I have hyperactivity issues. So I am more than happy to give this a go because it keeps me happy. Um, and every now and then something amazing happens and it feels right. So hopefully it will be. (laughs) (laughs) 
Who dares wins? Who dares wins? So when, along the way, have you had any... You mentioned the Johnny Wu interaction, but yeah. have there been any key mentors or heroes, people that have shown you the way? Because you're forging a path into an area that no one really knows how to nail it. Ooh. But were you turned on or inspired by anyone in particular? Michael Arlig. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love what he did, but also I I like it's pretty easy to say fabulous, but you don't just kill people. Like <laughs> chop up their Anymore. bodies. I, I know that <laughs> But the nineties are coming back, so <laughs> maybe <knows>. we do. <laughs> um there, there are lots of people, like the Michael Alec thing definitely inspired me as a teenager with all of the performance, with all of the, you know, campery. Johnny Wu inspired me to be, um, a, you know, to be a drag queen. I mean, I think I'm going to look back, and I already kind of do look back at the time I lived in London and was an alternative drag queen. Because drag is the new punk. Uh, in London, you feel it, like it's as big of a thing as punk was. And I think... Um, you know, it'd be cool to say, yeah, look, I was living in London and I was at the pioneering, you know, stages of drag and... Um, Why do you think drag is the new punk? What is it about drag that um, has its moment now and is so necessary now? Drag is counterculture, although it's slowly coming mainstream. I mean, RuPaul's Drag Race nominated for an Emmy is a clear, you know... That's a sign that um, drag is, is, is becoming norm. But um, it still is kind of, yeah, anti. It's still kind of the reverse. And I think that's what punk was. I think punk was something that people could subscribe to that, you know, you can clearly identify yourself as being a fuck you. Um, but, you know, it was fabulous. I think punk was fab. Yeah. And um... for, for, for <laughs> me, the reason why I think drag is so necessary and so deeply countercultural is because little kids learn boy or girl first and foremost mm-hmm. and our notion of the entire world gets formed at the point at which we're understanding ourselves in relation to it mm-hmm. and our notion around gender is so deeply ingrained in our notion of ourself so if you cut to that person middle-aged trying to deal with the notion of a young person saying I'm no longer identifying with gender on some subconscious level you're actually saying everything you know about the world is mm-hmm. up, for, up for question. Mm-hmm. And your entire sense of identity within yourself and your entire sense of identity within the world as you know it is actually not as set in stone as you thought it was. And so if everything is up for question, then that's terrifying and exciting, which is why I'm really turned on by it, mm-hmm. but also why I reckon people need this now more than ever with the Caitlyn Jenner and the RuPaul and the, you know finally, finally opening up trans and, and the notion of what it is to be cis versus, you know, the other. I've got a strong feeling um, the gays had their stonewall moment and has and the follow and the follow on has left um, like I think it's pretty like we've come a long way. Mm. You know, I feel pretty free as a gay identifying or queer identifying person. Which is well, thank God. But you I feel know, like, but, but I feel like the trans movement is still is, in its is still in its infancy, yeah. and I think they're like they're getting there, and they're definitely the next. It's um, the next pillar the next, to fall. Yeah, the next piece of 
acronym to <laughs> to reach some level of freedom. <laughs> yeah, I look, I agree. Also, it's, it's all well and good for us to say that we feel great because you know we're like white, you know, middle class yep. kids who happen to identify as queer. So you know, you can you can be invisible within your alternativeness if you need to be. I feel like you can actually tone it down if you're in. If I went the to if I, uh, into the Middle East, if yeah. I, I could basically, I can put that that shit on the back burner if I need to turn it down for my if my safety's in question. Fully. But I really totally doff my cap to people for whom their self is not so easy to tone down. Nor should they ever have to. But in this day and age, we're not quite there yet. So therefore, you know, do you think that you know what with all the Trumpiness and the Brexitiness and the you know all of these disenfranchised stupid people who are getting their voices heard do you feel like that makes the radicalization of a queer movement or a a counterculture more active yeah it's got to surely it feeds it's going it's feeding it surely (laughs) i just shuddered trying to like put it all into perspective but yeah someone reposted a Lee Bowery interview from 1988 at Harrods. Yes, amazing. At the tea room. Oh. Uh, and it was, and I and I posted it, and I think I've referenced this a couple of times today, even. But I just reposted it as this is my favorite form of protest. Yeah, because I feel like it, with everything that's happening in the world right now being what it is, this is so simple but so effective mm-hmm. because you're radicalizing the minds of people who come into contact with it to find their inner tranny freak going, <laughs> yeah, I like it. And I'm not going to hang back anymore. I feel like it's, you know, it's essential now to find that, that part of ourselves that is the most bold and brave and daring. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm fully into it. Those people are my kind of people. They, they are important. So, and we must have quite a we must have quite a lot of them in Melbourne. Must be. Melbourne is so weirdly unique that you don't realise just how until you go around the rest of the country, and then when you go around the rest of the world, you're like, oh, it's not just that that Melbourne is unique, Australia wide. Melbourne is unique internationally. It is. Do you feel like there's something that you're working on? If I were to check in with you in a year's time and say, how's that thing going? For you to have had a real coup with a personal project to then say, girl, I've nailed it. I've, <laughs> I've done, I've opened, I've done the thing that I was really hoping to do. So what's the main um, question? Well, if you were to think about... One year from now. Something that you're, that's out of your grasp currently that you would mm-hmm. love to achieve with your creative output that doesn't seem like a shoe-in but would be a wonderful thing to have achieved in a year's time. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that comes to mind? Yeah, but it's not really Melbourne-related, though. That's okay. That's the only thing. That's um, okay. Because... Uh, Mel- Melbourne's just your launch pad. Yeah, I, it's my home. I like, I, like, I like it as a home. It's the most livable city in the world. They're not so right. it's not a bad place to live. Um... Look, I, to be honest, I just want to um, tour regularly um, as, a, as a personal goal. Um, you know, I want to see, I want to share what I, what I do here with the rest of the world. So that can come in the form uh, with Salvador Darling and Tether, 
my musical projects, or it could come in the form of um, Pute um, and my various other club brands or my hospitality brands. Um, like taking something and sharing is, 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 is my goal. When you make music for yourself, does it sound like anything else you were inspired by? Oh, okay. So, you know, you've seen me on a dance floor. I like to just get it out and really connect. And it's like a form of meditation, deep, you know, deep expression and trance and whatever. And I take that as like the most amazing I feel ever would be performing on a stage to create that experience for people or experiencing that myself. So that is, I've forgotten the question. I got so carried well, away with that. Well, no, I'm, I'm, I'm actually having a fantasy moment where I'm thinking, oh, I want one of those dances where I transcend. Those dances, the trans, oh my gosh. Transcend. <laughs> so another question was when you make music for yourself, does it right. sound like something that you were Oh, right. By? So when, I, when I'm making music, I'm thinking about, getting to that place. So there is this like nirvana, this like dance floor moment that we all have. And I'm sure you could ask anyone and say, tell me your most memorable dance floor moment. Or, you know, they'll say, I was at this festival and the sun was going down and I remember this particular, and everyone has them and they really are profound. They're, you know, for, I guess people must get that similar fix through their religions and things like that i'm sure um but for me it's 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 music and when i'm making it it's always centralized around achieving that nirvana to the listener girl i i uh i cannot wait to experience butte just tell me when i can when when's the next one i can go to uh butte is the first sunday of every single month at the top in town What's the first, what, what, what should I wear and what should I expect to see? Do you, do you in a, in the biggest way possible. There's no wrong. Um, and what should you expect to see? Yeah. Um, a glimpse into how, the, a glimpse into the, how the world should be. I don't know. <laughs> it's a, look, to be honest, it's just a really fabulous time surrounded by art. There's a lot of art artists who contribute into bringing the night alive everybody is a piece of walking sculpture as far as i'm as far as i'm concerned um people really go for it and are contributing and there's transcendence as a compulsory (laughs) (laughs) compulsory entry so you hear that sydney just log on to webjet get yourself a cheap flight on the last the first sunday of the month Come down to Melbourne, go to Curtain House, walk into the top in town on a Sunday night and see how it's done. (laughs) For the love of God, transcend. Thank you, girl. Thank you. What I loved about talking to Levi was the idea that he recognizes that his energy type, which he would describe as hyperactive, is not suited to a more traditional workspace. Rather than trying to fit that mold via medication or strength of will, he simply channels his energy into a space that's big enough for him. And when you're in the middle of the Salvador Darling experience, you can really feel it. The first time I met him, he was just a club kid on 
seven inch platform sneakers, creating club moments with $2 shop glitter cannons. But now he's a world seasoned event organizer. He's a DJ with residencies around town, and he's an ambitious creative who, along with a small team, creates one of the most exciting nights in Melbourne, the monthly Butte, which riffs on the flavors of Berlin, but mixes it with a healthy dose of Australian irony and champions the aesthetic of the millennium. If you want to know what's going to be influencing mainstream fashion in two years' time, check out the club photos from Butte, which are digital replicas of Polaroids taken on the night. Traditionally, the coolest club in town would be considered exclusive, but Butte's door policy is 1000% inclusivity. Just do you, but big. Speaking to Levi really made me want to go out. To hear a sample of Levi's SoundCloud mixes and to see images from Butte Club, check out the show page at www.thenakedcreativeshow.com. Levi's Butte Club night happens at the Toffin Town at Curtain House on the first Sunday of every month. Open late. Except it's not just able to be enjoyed in except it's not just able to be experienced in headphones or at a computer, it's able to be experienced in a room with other people who can then cross-pollinate each other's experience with ideas that surround the culture, the clothing, the style the dance expression, the art installation, the art of conversation. Culture breeds culture, and Levi has essentially been part of the nightlife scene in Melbourne for over 10 years, since he was 16. In previous episodes of the podcast, I've spoken to creatives whose canvas was the photograph, the TV series, the mantelpiece, or the workshop. But this week, I speak to someone whose platform is the dance floor, a place very near and dear to my heart. For those who have little tolerance to Melbournians talking about how great Melbourne is, this podcast is probably not for you. You've been warned. For those that agree, come on in and enjoy my chat with Levi Cross, aka Salvador Darling. Levi, girl. Hello, Danny. Are we recording? Yeah, we're recording. We're oh, doing. wow. I don't want to live on, I don't want to live when the camera's not rolling. Yeah, fully. Um, well, look, let's, just to give people some, some background, if someone were to say to you, what do you do? What do you tell them? Wow. Um, so what do you do? Do you know what? I keep myself very busy with different projects. So I guess I am a DJ, a producer, but I'm also working events. So I run um, parties, and that's what I do. And as long as I've known you, there's been a, a focus on doing things in clubs, running events, staging yep. nights. And I feel like in the last few years, correct me if I'm wrong, DJ got added to that and almost became a first and foremost, and then producer has followed since, mm-hmm. and you've been you've gone into the making of music? Yep. Where uh, was that just a natural progression for you because you were in the clubs anyway and, and you thought, well, I may as well be the one doing the DJing? Uh, first of all, thank you for um, yeah, giving me a moment to reflect on this. I haven't thought about it. Uh, it happened naturally, organically. Um, I think I wanted to do it all along, and uh, that was just the process of how I got there. Okay, I well, think. in terms of how you got there, yeah. When was the first point at which you started staging 
events and and what do you call it at that stage when you were just doing clubs were you saying I I do events I'm a performance artist I because as far the as the list goes on yeah it's kind of okay let's see if I can try and work it out properly I think I've always chased or always followed enjoyment I think uh, whatever I'm doing in my life at the time whatever is giving me the most enjoyment I've pursued I've pursued and that's kind of been my indicator. And, with, and that has come in many forms as I've grown older, as my tastes have changed, as my, you know, what how I would like to participate. Uh, I kind of went from participant to contributor very early from the beginning. I've always been more excited to contribute to a culture. That's um, what I like doing. Was yeah. there a, was that a stroke of 18 in the club scenario? Were you one of those... Ratbag kid that was running around Clubland before you were 18? I was a ratbag kid. Actually, I'll tell you a great um, story. So it has literally been my entire life. I've always had um, a really over-the-top birthday celebration as a teenager. Um, And my first ever warehouse party um, was when I was 16 at the now Coles Fitzroy on Johnson Street, which used to be a car park. And uh, that was when I was... In high school, running these parties, um, probably about, you know, eight a year. So it's like kind of been my thing. It's been my vibe forever. I actually fully love it. Who would come to the parties Uh, when you were 16? All the kids from school, surrounding school. I actually bust in for that particular event because there was about 800 people. I actually bust in two school, like formal after party. One was a dev after party. One was a formal after party on the same night. I think it was Strathmore College. And it was like Strathmore and Essendon Keelor College or something like that. And they had their, they had their big do and then bust them in, charged the money. It was BYO. It was fab. I made heaps of money and, um, and it was like actually incredible. And that might have been the moment where I was like, do you know what? I really love doing this and I can make a living out of it. Maybe I'll just do it. So it was one- followed by the rat bag, um, underage club. Error. So it was yeah. one part hustler, one <laughs> one part club kid. Just a girl trying to get by. I mean, I had like a tasteful designer club. Like I've completely gone off designer. I no longer give a shit what's on the label. But when you're a teenager, you got to have it. Status. So come to my warehouse party. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. And so, because I mean, you, I always envy kids who grew up in Brunswick or inner city neighborhoods, which you probably never thought that was that cool, but given that I was rocking Lavita mm. Suburbia in North Baldwin, I would come to visit friends who lived on in Carlton and think, oh my God, this is so cool. <laughs> and I think just by maybe growing up in a neighborhood that's surrounded by that cool, mm. arty, studenty life, because you couldn't walk down Sydney Road without witnessing yeah. the guts of the city in the best possible way. I think more than ever, it was because at the time, whilst we were growing up in that neighborhood... Um, it was actually multicultural. It was actually very, very much um, European, Middle Eastern, mostly European neighbourhood from all different countries. I think it was growing up in the rich melting pot of these cultures more than being exposed to the arts, where I think you were a bit robbed in the suburbia of white. It's very white out in Baldwin. I mean, yeah. my dad lives there. 
Yeah, totally. And it's, 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 it was, and when I moved there, it wasn't just white; it was geriatric and white. Yeah. So it was, it, it was literally the cut off. It, it was the <laughs> parents of the people who lived in Hawthorne were in North Baldwin. Yeah, oh, and so they were, me. you know, they, they were. It was sixty to death. Basically, <laughs> my parents felt right at home. Yeah, the, uh, as, as they're in aged care. Um, but I would love to know at what yeah. point you so committed. Well, was in what, at what point you started um, running the events to actually because when I first met you, which was actually just to give some timeline. How old are you now? Twenty-seven. And when I first met you, I reckon you were twenty-one. Yeah, maybe? about twenty. And so you'd been doing, you'd been making it happen in club world for so long that you actually were very much in a performance art space when I first met you and that you were staging events that would occur midway through a night at sometimes one club a week, sometimes four. Yeah. And there were, there were and it was... There was, a, there, but that time in Melbourne, there was a culture, a club kid culture or a glamour was definitely a trend. Um, you know, now it's a little bit TC too cool. Um, and it's not as like, you know, getting dressed up with big jewels and big furs and big hair and big looks and big shoes and big personalities. That was then. And I remember everyone had a fur. Everyone had a fur. At least. Like well, they were troll. There's like a long fur, a, yeah. tr- a shrug. <laughs> we were, yeah. It, we were down. And it was, I mean, you had a handlebar mustache. I feel like you yeah. could get around in a monocle and it would not seem There was a couple of years where I was exclusively on a seven-inch platform. Yes. Um, scraping, yeah. Spice Girl Realness. Spice Girl Realness. But I mean, that was the time. That was where I was no. in my life. And... and What's in front of me right now is just the most effortlessly chic sports luxe. <laughs> short, like it's a short over a pant. It's all black. It's just Melbourne. Eat it up. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and is there a point at which you had been? I mean, where does it even come from? Where does for a sixteen-year-old to stage a night? You have to know what you're doing to some degree. Is that based off music videos? Similarly, when you're a twenty-one-year-old mm-hmm. and you're doing a, an, an installation in a club with gl- glitter cannons and giant platforms and wings and exploding, mm-hmm. you know, exploding pyrotechnics. I'm sure the pyrotechnics came a bit later, but you were definitely letting off things that created an, a, a moment in a yep. night when I first met you. And it was incredibly polished in the most down-home way. Yep. What was... Where does where do those ideas come from? Were you observing something overseas and then making it happen in Melbourne? I think that's a yes. I think I was seeing things um, with starry eyes going, wow, that is super interesting. Um, Whatever that is, I've got to do this. Yes. That definitely happened quite a few times in my life cycle. Because it's a cycle. I see something that just blows my mind and I sign on the dotted line immediately. That's happened a few times. Give me an example. Um... Oh, there was a moment I remember when I first moved to London and just saw these fab, fab drag queens doing it, you know, in a alternative way um, and just looking at it going, wow, that's like super duper fab. I remember seeing these um, performers on stage and going, whatever that is, I subscribe to that. And I think it was about a year and a half later, I was living with that person that made me go crazy. So it was kind of, it just like, 
that's it. I want to be an alternative drag queen. That's what I did. Was that Johnny Woo? Johnny Woo, yeah. And was that... Do you think that Melbourne and London's alternative club scene runs in parallel to each other? And where are they at now in comparison to each other? Uh, to what happened over there? Yeah, like if, if you were to go out and do the best that London had to yeah. offer right now and the best that Melbourne had to offer, would you find a little brother version of it in Melbourne or does Melbourne just do its own thing? No, Melbourne, Melbourne does its own thing. To be honest, Melbourne, something good is going... Is Something good is... I can feel change. De- I can definitely feel change. I don't think it's amazing what's going on. Um, I think there is room for a little bit less... Um, I just think it's a bit cool. Okay. That's all. When we were in the in 2009-10, which is a time yeah. that I I actually just did a little vlog yesterday about because when I get in my car, yeah, the good old Jag Sovereign, love I the love the Jag. <laughs> I all the CDs that are in that car are basically the, the five years of listening of when I was driving that car before moving to Sydney at the end of 2011. So basically, it's not 2007 to 2011. CDs are in that car. And of course, it's a nostalgia trip. And all I think about is basically that really interesting time. And, and the earlier part of that, when we, around the time we first met, I remember feeling that there was this really interesting shift which was happening completely across the culture because mm-hmm. it's Tom Ford's theory that a, a decade defines itself in its latter half. So therefore, from 2005 to 2010, mm-hmm. the 2000s were being defined. And mm-hmm. we were smack bang in the middle of that. And so the the countercultural, you know, bohemian revival was sort of happening in a number of different ways. But the first place that it's felt, of course, is in the clubs with art students, with people mm-hmm. who are really, you know, mainlining the zeitgeist. Yep. I remember feeling like there was something really interesting that was happening that I could see was going to hit the mainstream a, a little while later. And sure enough, it did. So now we are actually at the cusp of the second half of this decade Mm -hmm. and if Tom Ford's theory is correct this decade will define itself in the next four years what do you smell as being the the vibe that is currently being felt in clubs as in terms of how people want to dress what people want to dance to what people want to experience and I got it I've um I've actually been speaking about this topic a lot recently with other um nightlife nerds um it's a hundred percent. Nineties and millennial is back. Every it runs in a twenty-year cycle, pretty much as far as fashions and trends go. But I think it goes beyond how people are looking. It is unequivocally, like without a doubt, all you're seeing at the moment is crop tops. It's dungaree overalls. It's baggy. It's that's how people are dressing. There's been on the music front. There's been a resurgence in acid house in um, a bit of popular 90s music from the time, trance, etc. It's like tiptoeing its way in a little bit. Techno's back. That was also a 90s thing. Um, but also one thing that I think really... There was a lot of, like, the... I, I feel like the 80s um, was, like, a really hectic time for the world. And lots of shit was going on. Like, shit was going down. It was... There was a lot of depression, um, financial situations. And the 90s was all about hope. It was all about... All the music was all about, you know... Um, you know, things can only get better. Like, this... D-Ream. Yeah, it's a bit of D-Ream. Like, just, like, a classic of, you know, everybody's free. Like, 
the sort of the spirit of the 90s was, yeah, we're rich, we're back, we're, you know, love, equal. like, I felt like there was this, like, optimism of the 90s, and I feel like there is so much shit going on in the world at the moment, just constantly regurgitated to through media, or, like, terrorism and all these things. Brexit and Donald Trump. Brexit, and- Donald Trump. Um, there's, there's a lot of really fugly shit going on, and it's trending hard, so we're just going to get more and more of it because it's trending. So I've got a feeling we're all reaching our threshold of how much just, like, I feel like as we start to recover financially from our last financial crisis which was not that long ago only a few years ago Mm. um i feel like we've come full circle not just in fashion but in spirit and i think we're like looking forward to the future with equality there's been a lot of stuff happening with equality um you know just in general definitely in my realm and in dance music and um Uh, yeah what um, i noticed there was a little there was discussions around who the person playing the music is and what you know gender they are and what you know is there is that still a, a really active discussion about it's a huge discussion it was actually one of the top topics um uh, at pretty much all of the music conferences uh around the world like miami um amsterdam electronic music conference etc even in sydney and equality in dance music is new because being very male or very like cis male focused profession i guess Mm. you would call it it's just dudes and um yeah that debate sparked from uh mix mag 100 which is you know considered the you know they have their top 100 djs and they're considered a bible um, of sorts a bible they're considered to be the you know they're the voice Mm. if they say it's true and i think i can't remember but it was like two or three years ago they they put it out and someone was like, hey, there's no women here. And it's like, wow, that's really disturbing. Yeah. Like, that's a disturbing fact. And then it kind of, like, echoes down all the way through to, um, you know, down on the ground in Melbourne in a nightclub. It's the same thing. There is, uh, there's a lack of inclusivity, which is really funny because when sort of the nightclub like that we know today kind of started from these like you know gay black clubs in New York and Detroit and like it's just funny how it's gone from something that was created for the minorities which has been completely taken and now excludes the minorities and even like myself as a queer um artist I find myself never really being accepted as a um, can, like never really like considered for lineups and things of that nature for just like merit alone. It would all just be because either I'm fulfilling their um, GLBTQ card, um, or maybe my associations. You'll bring a certain crowd. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, and I'm almost like a... I'm just, I feel a little bit like... Pers- this is me personally. I feel a bit second-class citizen when it comes to the arena of um, cis male-dominated. Um, so if I feel that as a successful promoter, DJ, whatever, if I'm feeling that, I can't imagine how the girl starting out or the trans person starting out or someone who idolises has a moment at a dance party where they're just... You know, you can you have your moments where you're just like, I've got it. I need to do that. Or this is amazing. I want to learn. I can only imagine how there's barriers there. 
and um, yeah, so I think a lot of people are, and I think that's what's happening there is just one example. Just to bring it back again, yeah. it's just an example of um, how we're all gunning for equality mm. and hope, and I think that's what I'm forecasting for the next few years will be very revolutionary socially now that we're all connected. The reason why I'm so excited to sit down and talk to you, even though I've, I speak to people who are making making stuff across a number of different mm. genres and mediums, but the reason why I think it would be wonderful, why I was looking forward to chatting to you is because I really do, as a child of the disco, <laughs> really do believe that it's, that's where everything starts. I think, yeah. I think because, because basically the kids who are turning up and doing investing energy into that world are the people whom trend forecasters pay to tell them what's cool. 100%. Like 1,000%. It's just a fact. If you look at... I mean, a friend of mine had a a subscription through his work to WGSN, which is the World Global Style Network or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it's basically what every major fashion brand uses to gauge what's going to be trending, not only this year, but in two or three years' time. And all they do is pay kids who are in the know to tell them what's going to be cool. Mm-hmm. And therefore, that's, that's so Mark Jacobs can, can subscribe to it and copy it and basically feed that back to you just in time for the mainstream to want it before they know that they want it. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you know, I always feel like, just as you mentioned, it's not just about what people are wearing, it's what people are thinking, it's the energy and ideals that people are gravitating towards that you know, start at Clubland, you mm-hmm. know. If you want to see what people are going to be wearing in a, in a year and a half to two years' time, just go to the coolest underground club in Melbourne and that's exactly what you'll find. <laughs> but I also am in, intrigued by the idea that you've got... I mean, it's so funny how things that are ironical and ridiculous become the norm in terms of how trends do catch on. And I love when you posted Danny Minogue's All I Want to Do... And you were saying, how great is this? And I watched it and I was like, I'm not just having a nostalgic trip here. This is so now. This yes. is so, everything about it was perfect. Everything. Uh, the, I mean, I loved, <laughs> I loved the late noughties fascination with technology. I was going to post JLo's If You Had My Love as a response to it because that was the first time the internet was referred yep. to in a mainstream oh. video. And it was just so, but then, it, but you know, Danny's underground dance track would have been like just, you know, reading it a little bit, a little bit before JLo's would have. Um, I, in terms of, you know, we're talking about this world as being very inspired and, and sort of tapping into a zeitgeist, but how do you, do you actively pursue inspiration across any channels? Do you think to yourself, I'm feeling a little bit under-inspired at the moment, I'm going to invest in my creativity, and then do you find yourself consuming it specifically? Whoa. Um, whenever I'm lacking on inspiration, I generally go on a holiday. Um, just remove myself immerse myself in a different culture and that works for me not everybody has that available to them um so where's a holiday destination that's done that for you recently tokyo blew my mind apart and sewed it back together like it in the best way possible like tokyo was so unbelievably inspiring um what was it about tokyo that it looked like a Danny Minogue video. <laughs> <laughs> Tokyo, they just did, um, they did chic. Um, like, I've travelled um, a fair bit of Asia, and it was the first time in Asia where I went, wow, this is like, this is chic. 
Uh, the way that they live, the way that they act, just being so lovely. They casually slay everything. Every store fitting, every street, every... The bins they use, like, the entire place for me was a huge inspiration and has inspired my next 12 months of um, branding. It's inspired a show, which I'm going to tour. Um, it's really... It was a huge inspiration for me, and it was just... Um, that's like it's just so classic like I needed a bit of inspo so I went to this fascinating land that you know really looks forward to the future and I found myself applying their their brand it's so funny that you should find that now to be so to speak to you because I remember in the late 90s I was I was 18 in 2000 and I remember the feeling of Future. The futurism was very Japanese, and I, I actually so many of my Year Twelve and Year Eleven graphics projects were referencing Orientalism, mod, like futurism mm-hmm. in a Japanese way, and you know even the memory of like remember Kylie Minogue dressed as a geisha running around the streets of Tokyo to a, a Toa Tei song called German Bold Italic. Have you ever encountered that track? Because <laughs> it's actually ex- <laughs> heaven. Heaven. Okay. Um, I'll follow it up. We'll follow it up. I'll send it to you. It's um, it was the late nineties was so Japanese because the late nineties was so obsessed with the future and Japan always has been. So they just sort of fit together so perfectly that it just makes perfect sense that you would see that essence of now reflected there because they live for it. But in terms of your notion around branding and the show you're going to tour, just give me an idea what your branding and what the show that you would work on and tour would be. Cool. Um, the aesthetics, um, because I'm, I'm a huge gadget freak. I love gadgets. Um, I love anything kind of futury. I love new technology. I'm not scared of it when I come across it. Um, so um, I was inspired in Japan aesthetically um, by their, like from a image perspective i like the way that their graphic design has been for the last um 30 years so i've drawn heavily from there visually but with the show that i'm actually um being inspired to um create a um a visual show which i'll um present with a dj set which will tour using a couple of technologies um one of them is um 3d um one of them is 3d film um, so it'll be a club experience that you'll witness with 3D goggles and um, just have moments of, you know, things exploding, going through space or what have you whilst on a dance floor. I think it'd be quite quite an interesting experience for the, for the person enjoying it. I think Absolutely. it'll be very futuristic and very Japan-inspired. And... Um, and, and when you I say, mean, that's the main thing. And when you say branding, does that mean the branding of your online marketing for the club nights? For everything, yeah. Okay. And how many nights are you currently involved with? Um, so my main squeeze is, uh, is Butte, or Butte Club, which is pretty fabulous. Uh, this is a response to how I was feeling in Melbourne with the landscape and how there was a need for something super inclusive for people to be you know the fullness of the fullness of themselves and um so that's the main squeeze and it's taken up most of my time 
um, producing that. Um, also doing a queer techno party at my Aeon called Typical Party, which I do with some heaven um, people from the community. How often do either of those happen? Butte is once a month. Typical Party is every two months, um, bi-monthly. Where is, when's Butte on? Uh, it's on the first Sunday of the month. And it's at um, the Toffin Town, which is old favourite. We've had it's a- got to be my favourite venue in Melbourne. Like, hands down. It's well, it's also just part of Curtain House, which is five levels of heaven. Heaven. And a rooftop, and <laughs> a cinema, and a bookshop. Not a bookshop anymore, but, you know, a couple of restaurants, a couple of clubs. It's yeah. just... I feel like... It's I mean, a hub. I just did a vlog about... I've continued to vlog about Melbourne while I've been here, of mm. course. But my... It's just... If Sydney only knew what <laughs> is happening here... They'd move, and I'm so glad that they don't. Otherwise, this place would be full of Sydney ciders. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it is so rich in culture and nightlife, and you know, the, it's not just like it's blowing my mind. Actually, it, I mean, you've you've done the essence of the best clubs in London in a certain year or two year block. You've done, you've travelled the world and seen stuff. I know you feel the same way that I do that this is something in this city that is totally special and unique on a world scale. Yep. Melbourne, I think, actually has enough going on that's unique to Melbourne to not be like the city that's kind of like London, a small London, or it's not kind of like a small New York, or it's not... It's its own thing. Why? Where does it come from? Why are we like that? Um, I think it comes from privilege... I think we're just privileged to um, having, like, I've lived overseas and people, young people, you know, 16 to 26, they really don't have the opportunities to, like we do. They don't have the employment like we do. They don't have, like, I actually think it, it boils down to that. I think, but I know I think lots we're of, all very... I, I know lots of wealthy cities. I'm living in one at the yeah. moment. Um, I've also been to other wealthy cities like Los Angeles and yep. New York even, you know, places that are notoriously cool that are really rich. But they're not culturally rich necessarily. Mm-hmm. I feel like New York is like a big, well-oiled theme park at the moment. Well, Manhattan certainly yep. is. Um, Los Angeles downtown is sort of buzzing at the moment, but at the same time, it's uh, it's geography and it lack, its lack of cohesion culturally means that you have pockets of things that are interesting, mm-hmm. but... The thing that turns me on the most about Melbourne is it's just small. The, the size allows everyone to kind of know what's going on as part of the same story. Yes, Dan, fully. Because it's That not, is a great observation. It's just big enough that there's enough people to get shit done, but not so big that there are so many things happening that you can't keep up. 100%. Because it's just impossible to keep up in a city like New York. You... But Melbourne, you really do know what's going on in the whole city. You can phone your girl and she'll tell you where to <laughs> tell you where to go. It's like at any at any but yeah, at any one time there's something amazing happening, but probably not more than like one or two amazing things on any one night. True. But you could still find something amazing on any night of the week. Most nights, maybe not Monday. <laughs> I should come. Monday. Yes, Monday. Oh, remember remember Monday. <laughs> and so, well, I mean, have you ever hit? Any walls with your creativity where you've been starved for inspiration and just been flogging a dead horse? Does that ever happen to you? Uh, 
Do you know what? The only um, the only time that I hit a wall with creativity is if I'm just generally depressed. Like if I have a like you know I'm a human like any other person. Whenever you have a few. Um, you know, a few blows or whatever, you might have a period where you're a bit depressed and just, you know, you just got to like sort through that before you can get your high functioning, you know, all pistons firing level of creativity that you need to be a professional creative. So, And have you ever... So a lot of your demand energetically is late nights... Long, long hours, you know, you're, you're there in this amazing party atmosphere, so you're not just going to do your shift necessarily and knock off and go home. You want to enjoy the thing you've helped create. Mm-hmm. Do you find it challenging to structure that lifestyle that allows you to get the sleep you need, get the diet you need, get the yep. exercise you need, as well as this very demanding schedule energetically? It's taken years. I finally worked it out only recently, probably the last year or two. What does it look like? Uh, it looks like... Um, it looks like realizing your capacity, um, and blocking out, uh, appropriately, I guess. And is it about, um, demanding a certain bedtime? Is it about demanding a certain <laughs> blackout curtain that allows you to <laughs> sleep through the day? Is it about being really specific with diet? Whew. Um, look... It's not that different to work shifts or long hours or that kind of thing. It's something that I've always done. Um, I, I, I don't know what to say. Like, mm. you just kind of work it out through little tiny things, um, whether it be setting your alarm to go home instead of to wake up. That's a big one for me. And just, I've, I now know when it says, when the go home alarm goes on, no matter what I'm doing, it's stop, leave, you've got to go home uh, because, you know, you have lunch the next day and what have you so small little tricks like that I've probably got like a dozen of those and um, that's what keeps me we'll get, we'll get between you to, it all I'll get you to give me them in a written format and I'll put yeah. them on the show page okay. <laughs> <laughs> leave tips trips on how t- to um, tips yeah. for trips yeah but do you know oh. what do you know what else I think is the main thing to do what I'm what I'm doing at the moment is you just have to do that thing 100% you, it's actually just not a possibility to keep a, to keep a job, um, working for somebody else or a part-time job even, and, um, try and commit to that. And then on the side, do your, uh, endeavors. I found that to be impossible. You just constantly lose your jobs. (laughs) You constantly have these pressures. Um, I think for me, what has made it, um, sustainable has been committing to it as a, as a full-time gig. Great. Because energetically, it is a full-time gig, even though the hours... If I need to block out 24 hours to have my phone off and sit at home and watch Netflix and then start the day after, I need to do that. It's the only way to do it because these projects, events, they're all very... It works well with the way that I... It suits me perfectly, to be honest. Like, I'm a hyperactive uh, person. Um, So I don't adhere to structure very well nine to five does not work for me it works for some people it doesn't work for me you know school didn't really work for me i suit targeting all my energy towards one thing and completing that one thing that bite size you know focus of all your attention focus of all my attention it's actually it suits my you know kind of 
the way it suits me perfect. So I guess maybe that's got something to do with the management of like getting seeing things through concept to completion is you just need to focus on one thing at a time. That's really interesting because I've spoken to some people about how they ended up getting their career happening in that creative field and it it really is an interesting split between I needed to maintain my nine to five while then focusing on my passion on the side and on weekends but actually you're the first person to say I just needed to and it's an interesting idea Mm. you know accept the lesser income stream while focusing 100% on the thing you really want to be doing and then ultimately building that up to the point at which it becomes your primary income stream and satisfies you financially while still giving you exactly what you want to be doing as a job. I'm still in the process of working out if it's, it's hard to say, has it been a great idea or not? Because I haven't, it's not later enough in my life where I'm like, I'm not looking, because there, there is potential that I'll be looking around at my life at, you know, my 40s and going, wow, I don't own a house yet. Or wow, what am I going to do when I'm 60? Or I'm not at that stage yet where I can actively weigh in and suggest other people do the same. <laughs> I think that's really mean. I think, I think you know, maybe if I was not from a middle-class um, family where I know I'm never going to be homeless, I'm never... Like, there's always going to be uh, a solution for me through... Um, that's not something that's available to everyone, probably a lot of people, mm. um, you know, or maybe not even a lot. But um, to be honest, yeah, I've gone all chips in and... Only time will tell if it was good or bad. I'm trying it, and I think for me, for somebody with behavioural issues that they would call, um, uh, I just can't. I can't do the corporate ladder thing. I, I just can't. I have hyperactivity issues, so I am more than happy to give this a go because it keeps me happy. Um, and every now and then, something amazing happens, and it feels right. So. Hopefully it will be. <laughs> Who dares wins? Who dares wins? So when, along the way, have you had any... You mentioned the Johnny Wu interaction, but yeah. have there been any key mentors or heroes, people have shown you the way? Because you're forging a path into an area that no one really knows how to nail it. Ooh. But were you turned on or inspired by anyone in particular? Michael Arlig. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love what he did, but also I I like it's pretty easy to say fabulous, but you don't just kill people like <laughs> chop up their Anymore. bodies. I know, that, <laughs> but the nineties are coming back, so maybe we do. <laughs> um, there there are lots of people like the Michael Arlig thing. Definitely inspired me as a teenager with all of the performance, with all of the you know, campery. Johnny Wu inspired me to be, um, a, you know, to be a drag queen. I mean, I think I'm going to look back and I already kind of do look back at the time I lived in London and was an alternative drag queen because drag is the new punk. Uh, in London, you feel it like it's as big of a thing as punk was. And I think, um, you know, it'd be cool to say, yeah, look, I was living in London and I was at the pioneering, you know, stages of drag and, um, Why do you think drag is the new punk? What is it about drag that um, has its moment now and is so necessary now? Drag is counterculture, although it's slowly coming mainstream. I mean, RuPaul's Drag Race nominated for an Emmy is a clear, you know, 
that's a sign that um, drag is, is, is becoming norm. But um, it still is kind of, yeah, anti... It's still kind of the reverse. And I think that's what punk was. I think punk was something that people could subscribe to that, you know, you can clearly identify yourself as being a fuck you. Um, but, you know, it was fabulous. I think punk was fab. Yeah. And um... for, 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 <laughs> for me, the reason why I think drag is so necessary and so deeply countercultural is because little kids learn boy or girl first and foremost, mm-hmm. and our notion of the entire world gets formed at the point at which we're understanding ourselves in relation to it, mm-hmm. and our notion around gender is so deeply ingrained in our notion of ourself. So if you cut to that person, middle-aged, trying to deal with the notion of a young person saying, I'm no longer identifying with gender, on some subconscious level, you're actually saying, everything you know about the world is mm-hmm. up, for, up for question. Mm-hmm. And your entire sense of identity within yourself and your entire sense of identity within the world as you know it is actually not as set in stone as you thought it was and so if everything is up for question then that's terrifying and exciting which is why I'm really turned on by it Mm -hmm. but also why I reckon people need this now more than ever with the Caitlyn Jenner and the RuPaul and the you know finally finally opening up trans and and the notion of what it is to be cis versus you know the other i've got a strong feeling um the gays had their stonewall moment and has and the follow and the follow-on has left um like i think it's pretty like we've come a long way Mm. you know i feel pretty free as a gay identifying or queer identifying person which is well thank god but you know like but I feel like the trans movement is still is, in its is still in its infancy, yeah. and I think they're like they're getting there, and they're definitely the next. It's um, the next pillar the next, to fall. Yeah, the next piece of <laughs> acronym to <laughs> to reach some level of freedom. <laughs> yeah, I look, I agree. Also, it's, it's all well and good for us to say that we feel great because you know we're like white, you know, middle class yep. kids who happen to identify as queer. So you know you can. You can be invisible within your alternativeness if you need to be. I feel like you can actually tone it down if you're in. If I went the to if I, uh, into the Middle East, if yeah. I, I could basically, I can put that that shit on the back burner if I need to tone it down for my if my safety's in question. Fully. But I really totally doff my cap to people for whom their self is not so easy to tone down. Nor should they ever have to. But in this day and age. We're not quite there yet, so therefore, you know... Do you think that, you know, what with all the Trumpiness and the Brexitiness and the, you know, all of these disenfranchised, stupid people who are getting yeah. their voices heard, do you feel like that makes the radicalization of a queer movement or a, a counterculture more active? Yeah, it's got to. Surely it feeds, it's, going, it's feeding it. Surely. Big... Oh. <laughs> I just shuddered trying to th- like put it all into perspective <laughs> but yeah someone reposted a Lee Bowery interview from 1988 at Harrods yes amazing at the, at the oh. uh, and it was and I and I posted it and I think I've referenced this a couple of times today even but I just reposted it as this is my favourite form of protest yep because I feel like it, with everything that's happening in the world right now being what it is this is so simple 
but so effective mm-hmm. because you're radicalizing the minds of people who come into contact with it to find their inner tranny freak going, <laughs> yeah, I like it. And I'm not going to hang back anymore. I feel like it's, you know, it's essential now to find that, that part of ourselves that is the most bold and brave and daring. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm fully into it. Those people are my kind of people. They, they are important. So and we must, have quite a, we must have quite a lot of them in Melbourne. Must be. Melbourne is so weirdly unique that you don't realise just how until you go around the rest of the country. And then when you go around the rest of the world, you're like, oh, it's not just that, that Melbourne is unique Australia-wide. Melbourne is unique internationally. It is. Do you feel like there's something that you're working on if I were to check in with you in a year's time and say, how's that thing going? For you to have had a real coup with a personal project to then say, girl, I've nailed it. I've, <laughs> I've done, I've opened, I've done the thing that I was really hoping to do. So what's the main um, question? Well, if you were to think about... One year from now. Something that you're, that's out of your grasp currently that you would mm-hmm. love to achieve with your creative output that doesn't seem like a shoe-in but would be a wonderful thing to have achieved in a year's time. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that comes to mind? Yeah, but it's not really Melbourne-related, though. That's okay. That's the only thing. That's um, okay. Because... Uh, Mel- Melbourne's just your launch pad. Yeah, I, it's my home. I like, I, like, I like it as a home. It's the most livable city in the world. They're not so right. It's not a bad place to live. Um... Look, I, to be honest, I just want to um, tour regularly um, as, a, as a personal goal. Um, you know, I want to see, I want to share what I, what I do here with the rest of the world. So that can come in the form uh, with Salvador Darling and Tether, my musical projects, or it could come in the form of um, Butte um, and my various other club brands, or my hospitality brands, um, like taking something and sharing is, 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 is my goal. When you make music for yourself, does it sound like anything else you were inspired by? Oh, okay. So, you know, you've seen me on a dance floor. I like to just get it out and really connect. And it's like a form of meditation, deep you know, deep expression and trance and whatever. And I take that as like the most amazing I feel ever would be performing on a stage to create that experience for people or experiencing that myself. So that is, I've forgotten the question. I got so carried well, away with that. Well, no, I'm, I'm, I'm actually having a fantasy moment where I'm thinking, oh, I want one of those dances where I transcend. Those dances, the trans. Oh my gosh. Transcend. <laughs> So, no, the question was, when you make music for yourself, does it right. sound like something that you were Oh, right. By? So, when, I, when I'm making music, I'm thinking about getting to that place. So, there is this, like, nirvana, this, like, dance floor moment that we all have. And I'm sure you could ask anyone and say, tell me your most memorable dance floor moment. Or, you know, they'll say, I was at this festival and the sun was going down and I remember this particular... And everyone has them and they really are profound. They're, you know, for 
I guess people must get that similar fix through their religions and things like that, I'm sure. Um, but for me, it's, it's, it's music. And when I'm making it, it's always centralized around achieving that nirvana to the listener. Girl, I, I, uh, I cannot wait to experience Butte. Just tell me when I can, when, when's the next one I can go to? Uh, Butte is the first Sunday of every single month at the Toffin Town. What's the first, what, what, what should I wear and what should I expect to see? Do you, do you in, a, in the biggest way possible. There's no wrong. Um, and what should you expect to see? Yeah. Um, a glimpse into... How, a glimpse into the, how the world should be. I don't know. <laughs> it's a, look, to be honest, it's just a really fabulous time surrounded by art. There's a lot of art artists who contribute into bringing the night alive everybody is a piece of walking sculpture as far as I'm as far as I'm concerned um, people really go for it and are contributing and there's transcendence as a compulsory <laughs> <laughs> compulsory All right. entry so you hear that Sydney just log on to Webjet get yourself a cheap flight on the last the first Sunday of the month <laughs> Come down to Melbourne, go to Curtain House, walk into the Toffin Town on a Sunday night and see how it's done. <laughs> For the love of God, transcend. Thank you, girl. Thank you. What I loved about talking to Levi was the idea that he recognizes that his energy type, which he would describe as hyperactive, is not suited to a more traditional workspace. Rather than trying to fit that mold via medication or strength of will, he simply channels his energy into a space that's big enough for him. And when you're in the middle of the Salvador Darling experience, you can really feel it. The first time I met him, he was just a club kid on 7-inch platform sneakers, creating club moments with $2 shop glitter cannons. But now he's a world-seasoned event organizer. He's a DJ with residencies around town, and he's an ambitious creative who, along with a small team, creates one of the most exciting nights in Melbourne, the monthly Butte, which riffs on the flavors of Berlin, but mixes it with a healthy dose of Australian irony and champions the aesthetic of the millennium. If you want to know what's going to be influencing mainstream fashion in two years' time, check out the club photos from Butte, which are digital replicas of Polaroids taken on the night. Traditionally, the coolest club in town would be considered exclusive, but Butte's door policy is 1,000% inclusivity. Just do you, but big. Speaking to Levi really made me want to go out. To hear a sample of Levi's SoundCloud mixes and to see images from Butte Club, check out the show page at www.thenakedcreativeshow.com. Levi's Butte Club night happens at the Toff in Town at Curtain House on the first Sunday of every month. Open late.